Welcome back to the B-Sides podcast. Hi. Hey. (laughs) Hi, Becky. Hi, Mimi. Hello. The B-Sides podcast is a podcast for people who love when primetime pop music television shows from the early 2010s inadvertently make a strong case for socialism, as we will see today. That's true. Mm -hmm. That's who this particular podcast is for. And people who love pop music and politics more generally. So I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. I'm Hannah. And welcome to the B-Sides. Before we get into our episode today, uh, just a couple of announcements, a little housekeeping. Subscribe if you haven't already. We're launching season two of the podcast on October 14th, which means we'll be putting out new episodes every two weeks starting then. And subscribing makes it way easier to keep up with us. Yeah. And exciting if you don't even know already, but we launched some fun merch, yeah, which we you did. can find on our Instagram. It's on Teespring. Have some mugs with our favorite underrated pop star names and also our some superstar names as well as a little Taylor Swift uh, favorite songs. They're really great. We have some stickers. We have mugs. We have some t-shirts, which I designed and they're really fun. Honestly, some tank tops you may like to wear while you work out, um, and some tote bags and check it out now because it honestly may not even be there anymore by the time you look at it. So check it out. We'll be launching some new fun ones too with the launch of season two. I wore my tote bag out yesterday and it's like a really good tote bag because it has a little like pocket, which tote bags never have. So my like keys, you know, scratch my phone or whatever. And I kept all my like keys and wallet and like headphones and stuff in the little pocket. And then I just felt so cool rocking my B-sides tote bag. It's a really good one. Yeah. And if you guys actually have any suggestions on things that you would like that we haven't made, please let us know um, in the yeah, in the comments of this Instagram post, I'm sure we'll make. Yeah, exactly. uh, and uh, we would love to make it for you. And the link to buy the merch will be in the in the description of this episode. So scroll yes. down. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. All right. So let's get into it. Today, we are doing part two of our three-part Glee miniseries, The Glee Sides. So we're moving right along to season two. So you may have seen us announce this on Instagram or Facebook, but the episode we watched today and what we're going to talk about is season two, episode 19, Rumors. Rumors. Mm -hmm. Um, I have watched a fair amount of Glee recently, and I already forget so much, but I remembered this episode since 2011, and it may be because I'm a Fleetwood Mac head. Yeah. My goodness. I don't know how common that is, but this episode was kind of iconic to me. So um, this is the first and maybe only Glee episode that features covers all from one album. And that's Fleetwood Mac's 1977 Rumors album, which was distinctly recorded. Fleetwood Mac was a generally more of a rock band, but they recorded it with the intention of it being a pop album, which I think is interesting to think about what that means in the 70s. Um, And I think because the songs are also cohesive, like they actually work together to really move the story and character development along more than usual. Glee doesn't always do that. Songs don't always do that. Sometimes they're very random. Sometimes they fit the mood, but they don't actually like move things along in the lyrics or anything like that. Um, So 
yeah, in this one, it kind of felt like the words of the songs were generally saying more or things that the characters couldn't say themselves, which is like kind of the point of the Rumors album in general, which Fleetwood Mac recorded when they were on the verge of breaking up and not speaking to each other. And the music helped keep them together, man. So, yeah, this episode has one of my favorite covers like in life, not just in Glee. And, you know, there are some like borderline profound storylines coming up in this one we've got a lot of like obama era (laughs) questions about financials and social safety nets that obviously we have yet to solve we've got some like tea party journalism (laughs) influence going on that's like pretty dark in retrospect to see how it evolves later in the 2010s we've got unprecedented queer latinx representation on tv this whole arc and you know, I just think season two is like a time when Glee is kind of at its best. And I know some people are going to fight me on that because people already have on our Instagram where they're like season four, season six, whatever. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You're, people are coming for you saying that the later seasons are better. A couple of people. Really hot take. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. A couple of people. came for me to be like okay but the best episode is in season four or season five mm. or season six and I'm like good for you okay good for you <laughs> god bless all right so let's get into it um I should also say you may want to listen to episode one of this mini series if you haven't already where we introduce sort of why we came to be doing this or not and you can just listen to this I think it'll be fun either way but in either case here's what you missed on Glee so we've left off season one there are many more characters now there are characters who existed in season one but now they have more they have like real personalities and bigger roles some of them do not um but basically Kurt is he went to this like all-boys school Dalton because he was being bullied at McKinley High, the Glee High School. Um, And then he returns once some of that gets sorted. He's dating Blaine, a.k.a. Darren Chris. Sam, a.k.a. Cord Overstreet, has arrived and joined Glee. Quinn dates him briefly, but she's now back dating Finn again. She's also had her baby, FYI. Um, Rachel still loves Finn. Santana loves Brittany. It's a whole... All of these things are like kind of secrets, but not they kind of take on life in this rumors episode. Um, Brittany is dating Artie. The unholy trinity has quit the Cheerios shortly before regionals. So they're not they're not on the cheer squad right now. Don't worry. It's only temporary. And um, Sue has decided that it's time to destroy the Glee Club once more before nationals. The Glee Club is so good now that they're like about to go to nationals they went nationals is just inevitable right it's just you You know why this is what happens when you don't stop believing oh there it is that's it the momentum of that song (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is probably the only song that gets performed no they they redo a couple of songs like later on but that is one of the only songs that they ever perform more than once i feel like um so anyway so sue has created this group called the league of doom to take down the Glee Club from within. And that's where we are right now. And that's what you missed on Glee. Boop. Bop. 
I feel like we missed so much. Like that is a lot to yeah. take in. But okay, this is what happens when the when the episode opens. We get the fondue for two debut. And Mimi, I'm so grateful for you for picking this episode for many reasons. One being that we get fondue for two content. So we open with the theme song and the montage that's like, that's some hot dish fondue for two. It's <laughs> absolutely iconic. It's the internet talk show that's like A plus lo-fi 2011 content and a way for Brittany S. Pierce to combine her two favorite things in her words, hot cheese and talking to people. I love those things too. So I have no problem with that. Me too. And I'd like to say that Brittany is an influencer, but I respect her too much to to call her that. Lord Tubbington. (laughs) Lord Tubbington. Yeah. Go on, please. Well, this is just, this is the first time this show happens, but it will reoccur occasionally in later seasons. And Tina and Mercedes are Brittany's first guests. Brittany reveals some hot dish, which she says is, I heard a rumor that Santana plays for the other team. And I can confirm that rumor. It's 100% true. And Tina and Mercedes are like, wait, what? And and seem very dramatic. But then we cut to uh, Brittany's cat, Lord Tubbington, who we meet, who she talks to like he's a real human man. She says he's on Atkins right now, which is why he can have cheese. And the whole show lasts like only one minute. Basically, it ends with Brittany saying, next week, we'll be dipping raw meat into boiling chocolate. <laughs> and it's also important to note that it appears on YouTube, which we have officially moved on from MySpace, which was a season one staple. And then we take a strong detour to my girl, Kristen Chenoweth, who I will mm-hmm. say, I forgot that she was on this show until I saw her and I was like, this checks out. I love I love Kristen. Was this her cup? She was coming back, right? She had already been introduced and then... Yeah, that's right. She was in season one at some point. I just had forgotten this character and, you know, do a little meta. It's super interesting that she's on at the same time as Adina Menzel. Oh, wait, no, she isn't on the same time as Adina Menzel, is she? So so you watch both on the same day, I guess. Yes, because I watch. (laughs) Me too. I did the same thing because I was like. like, wicked. Oh, my God. How fun for them to like be together again. (laughs) Well, I was thinking about it because this happens all the time in shows like this, but, you know, they cover Defying Gravity later. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, it's one of those weird TV moments of, you know, in what universe do they have access to Defying Gravity if they, you know, have been taught by both by them? I think about that all the time, especially with shows like this, because there are so many guest stars. Like, like Britney Spears is on for like 30 seconds at some point. Gwyneth Paltrow, obviously, like Ricky Martin, Ricky Martin, like, but he's a substitute Spanish teacher. It's like, in what universe? I just try not to think about it too hard because yeah, right. it hurts my brain. I think that's okay. what they counted on. Yeah, so we go back and we meet April Rhodes, who was a senior when Mr. Shu was a freshman, and he had a big crush on her, as who wouldn't? She's so talented, she's so cute, and she's back and appears in Mr. Shu's office to tell him that, yeah, this was uh, my all-white production of The Wiz was a disaster. No shit, Kristen Chenoweth, that that was a disaster. And is now making her own musical, Crossroads. You get it? Because like her last name is Rhodes. Um, the April Rhodes story and wants Mr. Shu to join her. I just want to note that April Rhodes and Terry Schuster are both in Sue's League of Doom to get him to leave McKinley. So there is an ulterior motive here, people. And it's not just because she wants him to be on Broadway. Another question about her role my 
there's like some Glee songs that I listen to on a regular basis still to this day. One we will talk about in our next miniseries episode, but one of them is maybe this time that Kristen Chenoweth does. Is that part of her earlier arc? Do you know, or does that come later? That's like one of the best. I, I encourage everyone to check out the maybe this time from Cabaret. Oh my God. It's amazing. I forget, but I think it's earlier. Cause I, I think, think it's she, <sighs> I think she, doesn't come back for a while and then she comes back in season five a little bit um got it so I think it's earlier yeah no that's iconic I love that okay so speaking of the League of Doom Sue and Terry are absolutely chaotic at the lima beam I feel this was so funny because it was just I actually love when Glee does something that's just unbelievable I appreciate it because the whole thing is unbelievable and they revive the the muckraker Sue Sylvester and Terry Schuster, Will's ex-wife, are at the Lima Bean. Sue is fully dressed like David Bowie in this like sparkling teal suit and sequins and band shoulder pads, face paint. And she orders a cup of mocha powder and pays in euros in order to be incognito, which of course is ridiculous, but very funny. And Sue tells Terry that she's inspired by WikiLeaks to bring back the school newspaper, which was discontinued due to lack of interest. Um, the paper is called the Muckraker, and she wants to use it as a tool to destroy the Glee Club. The Glee Club, and a few minutes later, she mysteriously like is now dressed as Ann Coulter in this really hilarious blonde wig. And then a woman walks by and is like, "Ann Coulter, Ohio loves you." And I thought that was very funny and upsetting. Um, yeah. And then she gets a group. Sue gets a group of interested students together at the school to join the Muckraker, um, and she tells them that. Uh, like print newspapers everywhere were leaner and meaner, no longer concerned with facts, fact-checking, integrity, or facts. <laughs> and the Muckraker's new motto is, if I heard it, it's probably true or something. Yeah, I found this to be especially uh, hard to watch in 2020 yeah. because yeah. it was this predated the fake news, the quote-unquote fake news era that we live in now, but it's the seedlings for the same thing that we did see with the Tea Party movement and this way to like be like not everything that you read is true. People are out to get you, et cetera. But it's harder to swallow now knowing like everything with, with, um, I can never pronounce it, the QAnon Mm -hmm. or yeah, stuff. Um, but so the muckraker though is like starting to be big, obviously, because who doesn't love a gossip column? Uh, everyone in the school's hallway is reading their copies of the muckraker. There's a lot of commotion about it. Rachel runs up to Finn and says, haven't you read the muckraker? It's our school's newspaper. Um, just a side note, I was the editor-in-chief of my high school paper and would have loved if this happened when we came out with it. And I should have, you know, gave a little bit more blind items, I think. Anyway, we learned there are two blind items, rumors circulating. One hints that Quinn and Sam are hooking up, which means Quinn is cheating on Finn. Shock. The other hints that Santana is in the closet. Finn and Santana both stormed the choir room right before Glee rehearsal. Santana confronts Brittany. You told everyone I play for the other team on your ridiculous melted cheese show. Brittany just meant that Santana was on the Cheerios, but is now in the New Directions. And Brittany doesn't think she did anything wrong. And Finn confronts Sam and Quinn, who say nothing is going on. But Finn and Sam almost start fighting. And then Finn and Santana both storm out of the rehearsal. Dun, dun, dun. Line items are fun and dangerous. Yeah. They're both. They're probably more dangerous. Um, a quick note about like the term muckraker history note. 
uh-huh. is that it has it has a long history, but probably most prominently was used in the progressive like turn of the 20th century um, for journalists who were exposing corruption mm-hmm. during the Gilded Age, which is like very important. Like they are questioning a lot of institutions and they're, you know, fighting for labor movements you know we've got like Upton Sinclair and since then it has kind of become it still can mean that but it can also mean like you're digging too much like mm. that you're creating something for gossip reasons and not for Rude to Upton Sinclair mm-hmm. so um yeah it kind of means both so that's something to keep in mind okay let's get to the music here the idea to do the rumors album is born so mr shu is like stressed about all the drama he just witnessed like he's talking to april and he is just like all the rumors the backstabbing the love triangles the questions of sexuality and april's like sounds like the new direction's got a case of the mac the fleetwood mac and she, again, she's, like, doing his job for him. Like, he, he's always having someone else do his job. She suggests, basically, that they sing songs from the Rubens album, which, you know, as I've said, Fleetwood Mac wrote while they weren't speaking to each other because they were fighting all the time. And they put their drama to good use, essentially. So, again, this is the first Glee lesson ever devoted to a single album, which is cool. And we cut to the choir room and April and Mr. Shu sing Dreams, a beautiful song. She is amazing as she is. He is weird slash like <laughs> kind of trying to be sexy, which you will find no fans of Matthew Morrison here. No, no. Um, he's just like, ooh, <laughs> with like a weird turned up smile Yeah, that I hate. I it's hate weird. it so much. Yes. Um, it's really, everyone is like really vibing to this low key because it's a low key song. April's kind of like calling, she's like pointing at people at various points with meaningful lyrics, <laughs> making them all think about the rumors. And yeah, Mr. Shu is like, anyway, now that we've done that, we're going to sing, everyone sings songs from rumors. It was written as the band was breaking up to keep them together. We're going to do that right now. That's the lesson. Mimi, was that your favorite cover? Or you know, you'll tell us when your favorite cover is coming. Yeah, I'll tell you. I, I do. I do like that one, but unfortunately, <laughs> and it's one of my favorite songs in in general. Um, mm-hmm. But Matthew Morrison spoils things for me so much. So in some ways, I like it a lot, but it's not my favorite. Okay, got know. it. Okay. Um, so then, what happens is um, we get an Artie and Britney storyline, which I have to say, I I didn't remember this at all like I had no idea they were ever romantically entwined but that's what I'm learning about like myself in this rewatch is so many of the short-lived romances made absolutely no impact on me so anyway what happens is after truly vibing with that performance Artie decides to confront Brittany about her relationship with Santana and asks if she's cheating on him with her and it's actually really complicated it's a complex conversation that they have um because, you know, Artie's saying that Santana's manipulating her. He says he's already insecure about or has questions about why she'd want to be with him anyway. His justification is like, well, I love angry birds. As if that, I don't know, I guess that was like the writer's like idea of what a nerd is. I don't I, know. I thought it was weird how he's like, it's, it was strange writing to be like, it's not 
because I'm in a wheelchair. It's because my mom cuts my hair and I like Angry Birds. Right. Like, those aren't, those are so like not intrinsic to your identity, I think. Right. That you could change those if you wanted to, or like it's easy for those not to be insecurities, I think. It was weird. Mm-hmm. It was a weird choice. Yeah. But it's this weird conversation because Brittany is saying, well, of course she's not cheating on him with Santana. It doesn't count because they're both girls. And she's like, and that's what Santana told me. And she's saying that Santana's not manipulative. She's not a bad person like people think, which, you know, is true. But she every every justification she says for why she's not cheating on Artie, she says, Santana told me to say this. Mm-hmm. So Artie then um, says like something like, Brittany, how could you be so stupid? And Brittany immediately like bursts into tears and is really hurt by that. She says, you know, she's used to being called stupid by a lot of people, but not him. I think she says like, you're the one person at school who's never called me that. And she runs off and it's very, it's a, it's a rough conversation. And then Artie sings never going back again as he goes through the hallway. It's one of those classic, like it starts in their brain, but then ends up on the stage glee moments, which I love. love Um, Right. And he's like going through the hallway and he sees Santana comforting Brittany and he's getting really mad. And um, most of the boys of glee club and a few other really random boys, like who are these boys? Suddenly join with acoustic guitars. And at first I was like, how many guitars are there? There's so many guitars. But I was like, maybe I'm just overreacting. There can't be this many guitars because they were doing all these close-up shots. And then they zoomed out. <laughs> and there were so many guitars on stage. There Where were, are all these? There were like, so there were double-digit guitars. Like there, <laughs> there were like 12 guitars. 12 boys. Yeah. It was weird. It was, it was still a good song, but it was just like a lot of guitars and a lot of intense male energy and not a ton for Artie to do, but you know, six out of 10. (laughs) Yeah. I think the guitars overshadowed him. I do love like close-up shots of men strumming guitars. I think that's kind of dreamy, but then when you see that there are actually like 12 of them, it's like, that's way too many, many guitars. It was so weird. I have some thoughts that I'll I'll reserve for a later, later date. Well, we now clip to Rachel and Finn's steakhouse. You can feel the sexual tension in this car. Am I right? I'm a big Rachel and Finn supporter. Um, Rin, if you will, or what are they called? I don't know. I don't know. Finchel. 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 Um, So they're sitting in the car outside of the motel. Suspicious that something is going down with Sam and Quinn. Because that's all any male, male, female friendship can be is purely sex. Um, and so Rachel's sporting huge binoculars. She's because she's the most extra person in the entire world. And she keeps asking Finn why he get back with someone he can't even trust. He asks her to explain the concept of karma to him. And then they see Kurt walking out of the motel saying goodbye to Sam. Rachel and Finn immediately decide that Sam, that Sam and Kurt are hooking up. And that Kurt is cheating on Blaine, which immediately again, people can be friends. And as we learn later, I will give a spoiler now, like what's really happening, but, and that terrible character, Jacob Ben Israel, who is offensive to, to me on entry level is also heading out and taking pictures of Kurt and Sam for the muckraker. Yeah. It's a little, yeah, he's very annoying. Jacob Ben Israel. I hate him so much. I can't even, I can't, I forgot. Like as yeah, a I've, defense mechanism, I forgot completely that he existed. Good. Um, and then he was back. Yeah. And so then the next day, Finn and Rachel tell a few others what they saw. And Quinn essentially says, Sam is not Sam is not gay and I have to go. 
And she walks away. She's right. She doesn't owe it to them to like say like why or what's going on. It's not her secret to tell. Uh, And she knows, she knows he's not gay. And who cares even if he were gay? Whatever. Uh, Rachel ignores Quinn and confronts Kurt in the hallway, makes the assumption that he's cheating on Blaine. And why would anyone want to cheat on amazing, talented, beautiful Blaine? And Kurt obviously denies, mostly like when Fleetwood Mac made rumors, they weren't talking. So stop. Instead, Finn and Rachel embark on another stakeout because they're curious little bitches. And he is concerned about how Quinn was so sure that Sam isn't gay. I honestly, like, I forgot how dumb they make Finn as a character that he, like, doesn't understand basic concepts or, like, what's going on in the world. And then Finn complains that Quinn is so protective over her feelings and Rachel never was. And he always knew what she was thinking. Rachel smiles, self-satisfied. She did it. She manipulated him. Like, she got him to realize how good he had it with her. And... Quinn walks out of the motel with Sam, gives him a hug. Clearly, Finn thinks that the penis has been injected into the vagina at this point because he's like, this is it. She's cheating on me 100%. They're having sex in front of me. And really, they're just hugging. And again, will I reiterate, people can hug and it's not sexual. Uh, the beginning of the chain also plays in the background during the stakeout, which is really nice. They don't end up playing that song because again it would be the entire show and that's kind of why they did live concerts and they took it to the stage that's true but I would have loved to hear them do the chain because it's just such a good song but it did work very well Mm -hmm. in the background my I didn't think about this until you said that Hannah but um I was wondering then can they not do that cover because they uh, one of the lyrics is damn your love damn your lies can they not say like would they have to say darn or like darn your love darn your lies (laughs) yeah it doesn't fit as well i would have been but they did i remember last episode we were talking about how mercedes said damn oh yeah you're incredibly superfluously (laughs) like in like a so ridiculously like damn white writer yeah 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 but maybe it works different aside you're no i think you're probably right so I don't know. I agree. I wish they would have done it as well. Um, but they they do they do most of the songs. It's great. Um, okay. So this is a good time for a quick break. When we're back, Santana's going to sing to Brittany. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so we're back and now we're in the choir room. It's a pretty empty choir room. It's just Santana and Brittany and the the piano guy who's always there. Um, so oh, like an old man that's always there. Yeah, Brad the piano guy. Oh, is um, his name Brad? He has a name? Yeah, he has a name. Oh. That's his name. Mm-hmm. Do you know that? I mean, like, do they talk about that or do you just know that from the credits? They say, they say, um, not in the scene, but at some points they say, like, Brad the piano guy. Got it. Do you know him, Mimi? Personally? <laughs> <laughs> I thought Anna was asking, like, do you know him? 
<laughs> I didn't mean just imply that. I just meant like, are we just calling him Brad for fun or do we actually know that his name is Brad? And it sounds like there is evidence that his name is Brad. Yeah, I think so. It's hard to say. Anyway, here we are in the choir room. Santana says that she has brought Brittany here to cheer her up because Brittany is upset over her breakup with Artie and, and him calling her stupid. And Santana says that she has found a song from the Rumors album that expresses her private feelings for Britney better than the previous Fleetwood Mac song that they did a few episodes back, which was Landslide, which was also beautiful. So good. Recommend. Um, and Britney's like, what about this guy? Like, what about the... And, sh- and uh, Santana is like, oh, he's just furniture. Sorry. No offense. Hit it. And then she sings Songbird to Britney. And it is like such a beautiful scene. They both tear up. It's it's very emotional. Britney's like, this is great. Why couldn't you sing this to me in front of everyone? Santana's like, I'm not ready to do that. Ever since the blind item in the muckraker, I've been asked to join the golf team. Like <laughs> it's it's funny. It's it's like one of those scenes where it's like very emotional and then it goes like right back into um nonsense. And Brittany asked Santana to join her on fondue for two. She's like, what if I go first? Like, what if I ask you to prom and you just have to say yes? And then we can go together and we can be together. And Santana's like, okay. So this just a note on like this scene. This this is one of my favorite. This is the one that's like my favorite cover. It's one of my favorites. It has been since it came out. And um I just think like a little a little background on this song is that you know it's like 40 something years old and Christine McVie of Fleetwood Mac wrote it when she she woke up like in the middle of the night with the melody in her head and she didn't have and she was like oh this is good but she didn't have um she wasn't in a place where she could write it down or anything so she stayed up the rest of the night so she wouldn't forget it and then she like Pre- wrote voice it. memos. Right. Right. Like it was it was the 70s. She like desperately needed a voice memo. Um, but she didn't have it. Wow. So wow. she stayed up the rest of the night and this and then she wrote it. And you know, this is one of the few songs on the whole album that isn't like an angry song. It's like a it's a beautiful love song. And um very understated. Very understated, yeah. And you know, when Naya passed away. I remember Kalani like tweeting something that was like, this is one of my favorite songs because of her version, because it transformed it. And it really did like nothing against, um, nothing against Christine McVie. She is extremely talented, but they have such different voices. And this version is just so like soulful and and beautiful. Um, And I think this is exactly the, when you were, um, sharing in the opening about how this episode gives people you know words for what they're feeling I think that happens in a lot of songs but this is definitely the the pinnacle of that in this episode giving giving Santana's character you know something to say a way to articulate what she's feeling yeah and it and it is I mean I didn't really I remember at the time being like this is a beautiful scene and I love this song and it's one of the songs that I've listened to over the years I didn't realize how, I don't know, important it was to people until the last couple of months when people were like, 
this whole story arc and this scene and this like queer Latinx representation that was like actually very profound and complex, especially for mainstream TV, um, was such a big deal to so many people. So it's really just, it's very layered and it's a beautiful scene. And it's also just like showing how far Brittany and Santana were allowed to grow as characters since we last saw them in season one, um, which is a testament. With like no lines. With like no lines and just like kind of this maybe like male gazy like cheerleader relationship thing that was like yeah. supposed to be a joke. And then they were like, it shouldn't be a joke. So that's great. Also, if the B-sides is... A- um, you know, often interested in highlighting underrated pieces of pop music. Christine McVie is certainly an underrated genius. We love Christine. We do. Yeah. Yeah. She gets overshadowed by Stevie a fair amount, who we also love. But um, yeah. Okay. So here Santana ends up bailing on Fondue for Two, unfortunately, after Brittany suggests that she go on and so she can ask her to prom and she says she just says she just sends a text that's like I can't so Brittany blows past that during fondue for two and she just interviews her cat her human man cat Lord Tubington and she said she interviews him she's like do you think the aristocrat the aristocats excuse me is an accurate portrayal of the feline relationship and things like just because we're doing this interview doesn't mean I'm not mad at you because I know you started smoking again. I love this. I love this cat relationship. It's great. Later on in the storyline, Jacob and Israel is at it again. You hate to see it. Um, and he is like weirdly interviewing Santana for the muckraker as she walks down the hall as if she's like a local celebrity, which like perhaps she is. And we learn that she anonymously submitted a rumor about herself to the Muckraker website, which like, I didn't know there was a website, but okay. Um, that she's dating Dave Karofsky, who is a closeted gay jock who bullied Kurt previously. Um, she like confirms this rumor and says she's going to prom with Dave and they're in love and whatever. And Brittany overhears the end of the conversation at her locker and they make eye contact and they both look devastated and it's really It's sad. Um, Sad. But again, it is good. What I realize now is that it was important to have like these characters who were not, who were queer, but not like otherwise like perfect or otherwise um, like only defined by that. You know, she's like a flawed human person and that is a healthy thing to show on television. And that it wasn't linear for them. Yeah. Their relationship. That we have to cut from that interesting, nuanced, beautiful storyline to fucking Mr. Shoe, um, which we always also hate to see. I don't know why I'm so down on Matthew Morrison. I saw him live once. I don't think I mentioned that in the last time we chatted about this. Ooh, why? On purpose? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Basically, I was, I lived by myself in LA for a month when I was 18. Oh, yeah. And he did a free and I was like having so much fun just like running around the city It was before Uber. So I took public transit everywhere and he was doing a free show at the Grove, which is like an outdoor mall in LA. And I didn't like him that much, but I went cause I was like, this is just a, this is a cool thing. I don't get 
in Oberlin, Ohio, where I usually spend my time. So I'll just go for it. It's a free concert, Matthew Morrison. And I hated it so much. And in that moment, I was like, I hate you because <laughs> he was just so annoying to me. Um, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Anyway, so sure we could, I, I don't, I don't, I'm sure he's not. Yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe he's not. Okay. You're right. I, I hate him too. And I always did, but I like didn't quite have the words to articulate it while I was watching Glee. But just anytime he was on screen, I was like, Ugh. again, like, I know. Anyway, so this, I mean, this storyline is, is interesting. Uh, going back to, you know, uh, Becky's 2020 vision on the muckrakers. So Brittany who joined the muck, the muckraker staff early on is interviewing Mr. Shoe for the muckraker. She's wearing this like denim newsboy cap. And she asks a bunch of weird and increasingly invasive questions. It becomes very clear because she says it, that Sue told her what to ask him. Um, and it's an interesting, like funny moment where he gets very flustered and is like, this is not what journalism is. And yeah, I mean, I think that's something that's complicated about looking back with 2020 vision is that as we were talking about earlier, it seems, you know, that that's pre fake news era and all of those things that we now see as a part of our landscape. But what I think is important to know is that it, that's not pre fake news landscape. That was like, this has been building for a really long time. And I would say the mainstream liberal, and in some ways I include myself in that, the mainstream liberals like surprise at how powerful that ended up being in 2016 and still to this day is part of why we've been crushed because this has been going on for a really long time. So much so that the Glee writers knew it was a part, it was, it was going to be a familiar enough part of culture that in 2011, they can make a storyline about it. Mm -hmm. At this point, Sue, April and Emma are all encouraging him to go to Broadway to do crossroads. The same idea of like, this is your dream. It's time to leave high school. You've already been to nationals in 1993, et cetera. Um, Emma walks into the auditorium to see Mr. Shu and April rehearsing. They're wearing like white tie outfits. There's a full orchestra behind them, including lighting design, whatever. Um, the fact that the, the rehearsal for Crossroads can have full orchestra and lighting design, but the Muckraker newsroom can't have computers. My, because Becky you know, we were both on newspaper, like you need to have computers. Anyway, that's, these are just some thoughts I had while watching this. Um, I would have thought that Emma would walk into that and be like, oh my God, this is so horrible. I'm glad he's not taking any action on this, but she's like, that was amazing. You have to do this. And he tears up, but actually definitely doesn't tear up at all. And Emma's like, why are you crying? As if just a signal to the audience that we're supposed to know that Matthew Morrison is now crying because he's absolutely not tearing up even a little bit. Um, And he's like, I don't want to quit so close to nationals. You know, and he's so grateful to Emma and the Glee Club for saving him. But then he's like, but I really want to go. It's so annoying. But, you know, it's about him living his dreams. It is really all about him. Um, I just want to say that I... I I was like, wait, what is this fake song that they're that they're this like fake Broadway song that they're singing? And I think it's called um I mean it's a fake song from Glee, but I think it's called Nice to Meet You, Have I Slept with You. Oh, that's actually funny. <laughs> Pretty funny. I love that. I love that for them. Anyway. Well, so the next issue of the Muckraker comes out. And I was wondering how often we think this paper comes out, like once a week. I don't know. It seems coming out rather frequently for being so understaffed. And so what we already know becomes clear. Finn was spying on Quinn. Quinn was with Sam. We know. Uh, so they're all mad at each other, but agree they don't want to learn how to trust each other. Oh, but they need to, sorry. They need to learn how to trust each other. 
if they're going to stay in a relationship. Sounds like communication 101. Uh, they sing, I don't want to know, during Glee Club. And basically everyone watching looks at least slightly pained. It is very awkward, honestly, because um, no, they're not end goals. No one here thinks that they're end goals. And because also their names are too similar. Quinn and Finn are dancing, hugging, holding hands for all parts, but they look super passive aggressive and it's just awkward. It's an awkward performance. And at the end, Mr. Stu is like, terrific, guys. Might want to smile a little more next time. Great feedback from your Glee uh, teacher. Always, always good with the notes, Mr. Shu. Um, Rachel, obviously extra and pissed off, leaves, says that Quinn should do out with Sam more and, and she herself should do out with Finn because Finn and I have amazing proven harmonies. It's true. They do sound really good together. She's not wrong. And they need to sing together to win nationals. And Quinn is like, no, and tells Finn that she'll dump him if he ever sings with Rachel again. Mm. Mm. the drama Rachel basically blows past that she's like I am going to perform with him because he's going to play the drums when I sing my song um and she's like this is a classically like male song on the album but I'm gonna put my spin on it and she decides to perform go your own way which is another iconic song she does Um, this so well she does this so well have to hand it to occasionally you know I've got to give her her flowers and uh this is one of those moments she is ignoring everyone she's supposed to be performing to like everyone else in the glee club and she's just like locked in on Finn who can blame her in this moment he's playing the drums he's like he's loving this honestly um he's looking back between her and Quinn all the girls are like singing along to the chorus kind of supporting her except for Quinn who's like this is fucked. I don't, I'm not buying this. So she sings go your own way. And it's like, first of all, Rachel, like you go your own way because he is, he is dating someone else. Like what's wrong with you? But whatever. Um, she wants, I also she- didn't like, I love this too, but I, what I didn't like was that she was like, I'm going to put my feminine spin on it. But all she did was sing it. <laughs> and I don't, I just don't like when people are like, this is a male song and now I'm making it female. I thought that there was going to be something else that maybe, yeah. Yeah, but she didn't. She just sang it. It wasn't a feminine spin. You're allowed to sing any song, no matter what your gender is. That was a little annoying. She's like, "This is power feminism because I'm singing it." (laughs) Right. Um. Anyway, so everyone's like, "Yeah, that was great," except for Quinn, who's like, "Actually, this was kind of inappropriate for you to sing to my guy." And they start bickering. And then Santana, who's like sort of checked out of this, but like ready to stir the pot as usual, is like, you know, I blame Sam for all this. And Rachel, too. I blame her. And Rachel's like, what did I do? And she's like, I'm sure you did something. Um, and then so Sam has to explain why he's always at this motel. Like suddenly he has, he has to explain this very personal thing to everyone. He insists he's not messing around with Quinn or Kurt. They're just helping him out. And without missing a beat, Mr. Shu was like, hey, how are they helping you out? It's like, None your incredible horrible yeah and uh you know he says that he's living at the motel with his whole family in one room because his dad lost his job and that kurt brought him some clothes and that quinn helped babysit his siblings and like that's the gist of it and he's like thanks for making me reveal all this personal stuff gotta go so then we get a weird but sweet motel ambush this was also when i realized how much I thought of Sam as a later edition character 
and was very surprised that he was here on season two. I remember him being late like the other, you know, I don't know, like the other Glee Project winners or, or people like that. But he was there right from season two. So I don't know what I was thinking. So basically, Rachel and Finn decide to show up at the motel. They knock on Sam's door at the motel to see him and his siblings. They He does not want to let them in, but they force themselves in in a way that I think you're supposed to read as like sweet and caring. But I was like, he asked you to leave. That was not yeah. nice. Um, but Sam explains that his dad lost his job and they lost most of their stuff when the economy went to hell. He criticizes banks in a really useful way. He says, you know, when the bank takes your house, they literally take it, come by one day and kick you out of your own house, just lock you out. It's like, yeah, there's a, as Mimi said, there's a really sound argument for socialism. I'm like, they're so close. I'm like, they're so close. Like they just have to go like one step further and make it a little more structural and a little less about like everyone around you needs to take care of you and your personal life. Right. They're so close. They're on third base. They could, they could run home, but they chose not to because there's only so many critiques of capitalism you can bake into a Fox news. I mean, a Fox channel (laughs) show. Um, So Sam is like, he'll probably, okay, here's something weird that I also thought was annoying about this scene. So Sam is like, I'm going to have to quit the new directions to watch my siblings while my parents are out looking for jobs. Finn and Rachel are like, no, you can't. We need you and you need us. And he's like, you don't get it. And they're like, yes, we do. And then they show him gifts. And it's like, why, you know, normalize saying, I don't get it, but I love you. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. don't have to, he's, he's trying to say, you don't know what it's like to be in my shoes. And they're like, we do. Here's right. some clothes that I'm not wearing anymore ever. So you can take them. Like you don't get it if you have extra clothes to give. It's just annoying in that way, but it's sweet. They bring some of Finn's old clothes um, and they, and the rest of the Glee club bought back Sam's guitar that he had to sell. And he gets very emotional and um, it's a sweet moment um, and hope. I hope that it, you know, it, it uh, planted a little seed of socialism into the people who are watching it at the time. Yeah, I, I think the buying the guitar back was a really sweet gesture that they all pitched in. Um, not that they should have had to do that, but I agree that like when they were just very forcefully like, yes, we do get it. It's like, just say, you're right. I'm not in this position, but I care for you and I want to help however I can. Like, that's all you need to say. You don't get it. And then, yeah, lastly, uh, to end the show, Sue, we can't forget about her, trying to push Mr. Shoe out. She literally makes up a rumor and puts it in the muckraker that he's leaving, um, which is a nice strategic thing if you can get it uh, done through print media to believe you. And then fact is fact. It's printed. But he assures New Directions that he's not leaving them and not to believe everything they read which was sound advice. And they all sing Don't Stop in the auditorium. The jazz band is back. Sam is his siblings there because he needs to babysit them now so he can do both. And everyone is is happy and sweet and dancing. And it was a nice end to the episode. Yeah. And then that's, that's it. Lights out. That's the app. It's a good that's one. Great. Yeah. All right. So now that we've finished the episode we're going to do something that we did last time a little bit which is a couple of superlative reflection questions to get our head or heads around this a little more so the first one i want to do of two is who was the best 
behave person in this episode, who was the worst? Who 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 was doing the best, doing the best they could, and who was just wreaking havoc? I feel like there are a lot of contenders for that latter one, but what do you guys think? I think Quinn was mostly well-behaved mm-hmm. on this one. She really was trying to just do good. Trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Trying to lay low. I think so, too. I think Quinn and Kurt, who was like, Rachel, please stop talking to me. I want to go to nationals, and I want to stop talking to you. Um, and who was, you know, helping Sam as well. Yeah. I think they, they were well, both well-behaved. Quinn wasn't perfect because Quinn gave a weird ultimatum to Finn. Right. That was a little loaded. That's true. But also, in her defense, he deserved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because he was badly behaved. Because this was an episode that was much stronger on worse behaved than, than well behaved. Which maybe is yeah. just what the show is. Which is why they had to do the Rumors album. Yes. But it's also right. what the show is. Yeah. That's right. There's a lot of bad behavior on this episode. Yeah. Jacob and Israel is the worst of the worst behaved. But he doesn't even yeah. count because he doesn't need, like, he doesn't count. <laughs> It's not even a main character. He's like automatically the worst. Um, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think Rachel to me the was, the, was the worst, but God, there, there are several, there are several contenders for this. So mm-hmm. I just felt like she just needed to take a step back and instead she took 75 steps forward. <laughs> you know, that's literally, that's exactly it. That's her personality. Yeah. And then gets rewarded at the end. Oh, right. we didn't talk about, um, how funny it was at the end when they're singing Don't <laughs> Stop. And Mimi and I both noticed that like the line that's where they sing, I never meant any harm to you. Rachel does that. And she does it with such a lay Miz drama face. Yeah. I never meant any harm to you. As if she had like literally killed a family member, but that she was being redeemed for it now. It was so weird. I hate it. She doesn't do I thought that was so strange. And I had... Again, like I remembered this episode. I think I had blocked that out and then I saw it and I was like, oh my God, like it was just so weird. It was a really weird moment in that song. Yeah. He did mean harm to people. She so. definitely like did. The, the whole character. Yeah. And it's like the laryngitis episode that we covered in season one about, you know, when people have to pay for Rachel Berry's perspective, for the yeah. lessons Rachel Berry learns along the way, the people that she casts aside on that journey is uh, a lot. Bad behavior. <sighs> okay. And for the other one, let's talk about the Obama years with 2020 vision since Glee basically covers the Obama years. With 2020 vision, looking back at 2009 to 2015, I think I think we're in 2011 here. What is something from this episode that aged very well and something that aged very poorly? Top contenders. Well, it's, I don't know if this is aged well or poorly, but the muckraker stuff um, feels very like could have been done in 2020, like that part of the episode, very much with like fake news and getting stuff across. Um, I guess that it aged well because it still is very central to today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, always some shit that Rachel says uh, ages very poorly. I mean, the, like, almost everything she says. I also think that the, um, the, there's always a lot of offhanded homophobic comments Uh that do not age well. That I think they put in to kind of make it seem, like, spicy. Yeah. But that you don't need to do. 
Also, I, I know they- we're never going to talk about, I don't know if we're going to talk about this, but the fact that they have that like Asian man dancer. Is he always oh, season three stuff? No, I think Mike. Yeah, that he like doesn't speak and he's just like and they isn't that become like a plot line at some point? I think he he's just not like a main character, so he doesn't speak that much, but he does speak. It's that he doesn't really sing that much. Right. He's okay. and he is a professional dancer. And I so it's amazing. Yeah. 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 He I think he's done dirty. Even the char- even yeah. the character development he gets later is Yeah. And we're just not like nice. he's only dating the only other Asian character. Which I I remember, I'm sure they like are a little tongue in cheek about, but I'm like, you have so few characters. You've so few members of the cast. He can say something once every other episode. Like you could find a line for him, a throwaway line, even like sometimes or give him a little bit of development. Right. They, they, they did him and Tina dirty. Even when they gave her more lines, they just made her so annoying when they didn't have to, they like changed her personality, make her really annoying. And, um, and she's so talented. They like, yeah. acknowledge that. And like, I remember that she has a plot line of being like, you guys don't appreciate me, but it's like, you, she's really talented. She's in Spring Awakening. Too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, in this, to wrap up this season, kind of, they, they develop a couple of the characters that we've talked about. Like mm-hmm. they, they develop Brittany, they develop Santana. And part of that is, you know, people have said it's because they were just like likable and very talented. I don't want to take away from the fact that basically everyone is, is very talented. I think that, you know, like Naya was known to be a scene stealer. She was trying to, in a, in a good way, she was like trying to get a bigger role in the show and she got it. Um, That doesn't take away from the fact that other people are very talented too. And that, her storyline and so few of the storylines get to become these very like complex really mm-hmm. main roles um and a lot of people who were there from the beginning and had bigger roles like just kind of flatline and and don't mm-hmm. get to have those roles um yeah which is kind of a shame because they they deserve them as well and there is a way to write there is a way to write roles in a way where like not everyone has a ton of screen time but you still understand who they are and they're still complex characters so i actually think that's something that did age well is um the naya i'm i'm sorry the santana and britney plot line of this episode um just being like a non-linear path to being yourself or to even coming out mm-hmm. or to living the life you want to live in in high school as a queer person i think that was it was complicated and not perfect and that's what makes it like special and aged pretty well I think so too. And the Sam plot line is not, yeah, it doesn't have the critique of capitalism that we would like to see it have, but you know, just to have a, to have a plot line about, uh, they really don't talk about class on this show, like ever that that's just like, not something that they, you know, there's a lot of um, isms that are explored and oppressions that are explored on this, uh, on this show, classism is not one of them in a lot of ways. So to have a, a plot line about poverty that makes it clear that the, the, the person in question, like, it's not that they did anything wrong. It's that the structure failed them and that there's, there's a need for a social safety net. Um, it's not perfect, but I'm glad it was there. Yeah, I think, I think those kind of go together because they, they talk about 
sexuality a lot. They talk about some other issues, but they rarely talk about class and they rarely talk about race because they're like race is over. <laughs> Obama is president. So, um, and they still don't really talk about race, but again, the, by virtue of Naya being there and being a star character and a complex one that did a lot, even if they didn't really talk about it that much. So yeah, I agree with, with all of it. I think they were scarily somewhat ahead of the curve with, um, alternative facts, even though those have been around for a while. So yeah, I think, uh, that's our show, but it's not the end of the conversation. We can't wait to hear what you guys think. And we will be back pretty soon with a final mini series episode from season three. And then we will be back to our season two podcast on October 14th. So a lot of stuff up ahead. You can follow us on Instagram at listen to the B-sides on Twitter at the B-sides pod. And you can join our Facebook group by searching the B-sides or going to bit.ly slash B-sides FB group. You can email us with questions and ideas at listen to the B-sides at gmail.com. And all of these links, everything I'm saying right now is in the description of the episode, including the fact that you can leave us a voicemail on Anchor. Go do that if you feel like it, please. Um, and please subscribe to our podcast and rate and review us on iTunes. And we will see you very soon. Um, the next episode we're going to be doing, the final one, is going to be season three, episode six of Glee called Mash Off. And we're excited to talk about that up next. So until the next time we cut to the feeling, I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. I'm Hannah. Bye.